0: It's been a year since the pandemic shut down Chicago and completely changed just about every aspect of our lives.
1: So let's review. Now to growing concerns about the deadly coronavirus officially hitting the U.S. Here's what we know. Governor
0: J.B. Pritzker just announced the state's first fatality, a woman in her 60s.
2: To avoid the loss of potentially tens of thousands of lives, we must enact an immediate stay-at-home order for the state of Illinois.
1: Since yesterday, we lost an additional 31 lives for a total of 9,418 deaths.
2: What we're asking our residents to do, we're saying, look, here's what the reality is. It's better to have a Zoom Thanksgiving than an ICU Christmas.
1: The Food and Drug Administration has given the go-ahead to Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. We will be launching a new mass
2: vaccination site at the United Center.
1: And that means Illinois could start going back to normal. All right. So we applaud? I
3: think so.
0: I'm Curiosity City editor Alexandra Solomon, and on today's episode, we're going to take some time to acknowledge this anniversary. We'll share some personal essays from people who've written about what this year's been like. Like everyone, I have chafed against the monotony of these
3: days. But I would be lying if I said I haven't come to love their quiet rhythm, their very sameness.
0: And as more and more people get vaccinated for COVID, we went out to some vaccination sites in the city to ask them how it feels and what it all means. It was like fabulous. I was never so happy to get an injection in my life. (laughs) That's all coming up.
4: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
0: A lot of us have gotten used to thinking about our lives as before COVID and then everything that's happened since Well, WBEZ reporter Mariah Wolfel is pretty familiar with the latter. She's been reporting on the impact of the pandemic for the last year, and she's joining me now. Hey, Mariah. Hey, Alex. So you've been talking to people for a year now. You've covered just about every aspect of this deadly virus. What's it been like for you looking back a year now.
2: Yeah. Well, first, thank you for asking this because I feel like so many of us, like all of us, we've just been like go, 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 and so I myself haven't even taken a lot of time to sit back and think about what the past year has been like. At times, it's been at most of the time, it's been super inspiring and like just emotional. You know, a lot of the work that we. Started doing last March, we met, I I work on a healthcare team and we convened this team last March and we started having these meetings at 9.30 every morning to be like, how can we cover this? Who should we talk to? What emotions are people feeling right now that we could capture over the radio? Mm. And so as you imagine, like a lot of that is just like asking people questions about how they're feeling and what they're seeing. You know, this was moving so quickly and it was new for everyone. And so that was kind of the approach we took. And so in that, it was just like, I've just been a lot of the time blown away by how people have like let us into their lives, have been down to learn how to record themselves at work or at home. You know, we've talked to healthcare workers who have recorded themselves in the hospital. We've talked to healthcare workers who like got home at the end of the day and took their recorder out and like reflected on their day and how they felt Mm -hmm. throughout the day. Hospital CEOs that would just jump on the phone with us to tell us what problems they were seeing and what they needed, and so that's been what has kept me going for for most of the year. At other times, and I, I had a harder time with this. I think, I think like after the summer when we were seeing another surge, and I was like, "All right, yeah. here we go again." You know, yeah. like how can we continue to cover this? There was a lot of just COVID fatigue on my end, idea fatigue. And so that was hard.
0: (laughs) That was difficult at (laughs) times. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but usually when you're reporting on something, you're not necessarily experiencing the thing yourself. And COVID is this thing that we've all, journalists have been reporting on, but then we're all living Mm -hmm. too. So it's this pretty, I think, unique experience in that way. So I hear you when you say COVID fatigue in your own life and you're reporting, it makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So Mariah, you decided to mark this one year anniversary of the pandemic by asking people to send in an essay, essentially, talking about what they've learned, what it's been
2: like. Tell us a bit about the kinds of things people submitted. We got a lot of responses. We got dozens of responses. And those responses were anything from like, Two pages, multiple paragraphs about how they've changed to like one sentence that was like, this year sucked. <laughs> I mean, not exactly that <laughs> sure. sentiment of people just like just getting it out, just sending us an email, <laughs> no essay, just you know, yeah. I'm I'm here to tell you how I felt about this past year. But I think initially I was struck by all of the people who wrote in about how COVID has exacerbated hard circumstances that they were already in before, and just how The pandemic has made it more emotional, made it more challenging. And then a lot of people, you know, wrote us a little blurb before they submitted their essay saying something like, thank you for just giving us this outlet. It was helpful to just reflect on this myself. So I know you're going to share some of those essays with us here.
0: And one of the people you heard from was a nine-year-old girl. Tell us about her.
2: Yeah, Ellis Curry, uh, a very reflective, insightful nine-year-old. She and her mom, Julia, met me over Google Meet. Hi. Hi, Hi, Mariah. Hi, Julia. Hi, Ellis. How are you? So we did this over Google Meet because, you know, all the kids, they're experts on meeting virtually. It's the CPS, Chicago Public Schools, place to be. Yes. Yes. I'm very familiar with the Google Meets.
5: (laughs) So you're taking a little bit of time off to do yeah. that for me? Or- well, we're on lunch break, so. Oh, nice. So what do you like to do for fun? And, is- and
2: Ellis's reaction to our question is kind of representative of what so many of our respondents had to say.
5: I heard somebody say, we're still looking for some submissions for essays about how this past year has really changed you. And I just thought, oh, wow. That's that's what I need to do because I just felt like it was a way for me to tell everybody how I was feeling and it was a way for me to let that all out.
2: And we chatted a bit about that moment and she told me why she wanted to do this.
5: When I read this, I just feel it makes me feel happy because all that I feel is on this one piece of paper and... The fact that I get to share this with other people is really cool because I can I can just let other people know that if they're feeling like how I am, that they're not alone.
2: Wow, that's so great.
5: Yeah, yeah.
2: It's, it's really cool, as Ellis would say. Okay, so you got Ellis to record her essay. Here it is.
5: The name of my essay is A Year Filled with Stress and Gratitude. This year has almost felt like a very bad dream, and you want to wake up. Whenever I see the pile of masks in my kitchen, I always want to cry. Most of the time, I don't, because I know soon it will be over. But whenever I think it will be over, I think, when? When will it be over? I miss seeing my grandparents. I can't travel to Iowa to go see my grandparents, and I can't bake with my grandma in Chicago. I took it for granted. And after living through this tough year, I won't ever take it for granted again. After COVID, I will be more grateful for sleepovers with my friends. When this is all over, I will finally be able to see that pile of masks and sigh with relief because all of that chaos, sadness, and stress will be over. On the bright side, I can still do many things. I can still go to the parks with my friends, and I can still do Zoom dinners with my grandparents. And I have also realized that I will be so grateful to give hugs to anyone. Most of all, I am more grateful for my family and friends than anything in the whole world. They have all gotten me through this difficult year and have shown me that as long as we have each other, we can get through anything.
0: I love Alice's story. I think Alice has done such a great job of capturing, you know, not just what a young person has felt this past year, but what so many of us have felt. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Alice. It was great. So Mariah, you heard from a student and you also heard from a mom. And boy, I don't think we should underestimate all the moms, including my own, who've helped us get through this. Tell us about her.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's Susanna Pratt. She's got three kids. She's been working from home during the pandemic and she used her essay to detail, you know, the monotony of her days working from home hour by hour.
3: Each morning, slightly before 9 a.m., I carry my coffee into the dining room and take a seat. I reach beneath the table to grab an orange Nike shoebox and place it under my laptop. I open the computer and listen for its familiar chime to signal the start of my workday. At 9.45, a bearded runner in a gray hoodie and black track pants jogs down my street, irrespective of the weather. He may be a neighbor, but between the mask and sunglasses, I cannot identify him. I can, however, set my watch by him. At 11.22, my youngest child comes downstairs and makes himself an omelet with whatever ingredients he can scrounge up. Around 3, my husband asks if I want to take the dogs for a walk with him. My answer is usually weather-dependent. At 5.45 or so, I close my laptop and wrap its cord around the charger. I slide the Nike shoebox back under the table and push in my chair.
0: Gosh, Mariah, I don't have a runner, but I can definitely relate to... (laughs) all the things that have become part of this daily routine that we've gotten in Uh and what is pleasurable in some ways about that daily
2: routine. Totally, totally relate to that. Yeah. And she goes on to then talk about how she's become so accustomed to and even fond of this new routine.
3: Had you told me one year ago that my every single day would be spent seated at my dining room table monitoring the comings and goings of only my children, husband, dogs, and neighbors, I would have protested and told you this life of mild routine belonged to a much older version of myself. Before the pandemic, the life I knew was one of stores and classrooms and client offices and basketball games and theaters and cabs and restaurants. I believe this variety to be the stuff of fulfilled life. I was wrong. Like everyone, I have chafed against the monotony of these days. But I would be lying if I said I haven't come to love their quiet rhythm, their very sameness. So often in this past year, the world appeared to be spinning out of control. Our household grounded me and kept me safe and sane. As society begins to reopen and my family's life starts to refill with activity and choice, I feel overwhelmed. I think a slow emergence may be called for. The pandemic has grown my capacity for sameness to the point where I no longer accommodate routine. I crave it. Long after it is necessary, I suspect you may find me in front of my laptop in the dining room, sipping my coffee and hoping for an omelette to arrive.
0: Yeah, Mariah, I think she's really just captured this idea that a lot of us are going to miss parts of this slow routine, you know, that we've gotten used to in this last year that's become so familiar.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the other really big piece of this last year is loss, obviously. You know, so many people have experienced loss. That's including Jorge Valdivia, who submitted an essay. His older brother, Mauricio, died from COVID last year. And Jorge has grieved his death. It's been so painful but he talks about how it also motivated him to do something that he'd been afraid to do for a while. Here's part of his story.
4: I somehow mustered the energy and focus to submit my application. I brought up my brother's name during my graduate school interview and started to cry. I don't remember the question. Maybe she was asking who inspired me. Maybe I was just being too emotional the way I had been for most of 2020. Whatever it was, I was thinking I had bombed the interview. Weeks later, I got an email I ran to my office, and right before clicking open, I stared at my brother's urn by my desk. I said, if I get accepted, I'm doing this for myself, I'm doing this for you, and I'm doing this for our community. As soon as I read the words, congratulations, you've been accepted, I started crying.
2: So now, after that difficult process, he's a graduate student at the University of Chicago.
4: I never imagined this possibility for myself as the son of immigrants who never quite knew how to support their children academically. I'm the first in my family to graduate from college, and now I have a great new job that I absolutely love and a new apartment that I'm slowly turning into my new home. And just like the spring sun that's slowly melting away at any remnants of winter, I've slowly come out of the depression I was in last year. 2020 was the year I learned just how resilient I can be. And while my brother Mauricio might not be here, I know exactly what he'd say to me, if he were. I'm proud of you, and I love you, little brother.
2: So, you know, Alex, as you heard him say, 2020 was the year Jorge discovered how resilient he was. And I just want to leave everyone and you with this one last story that I also found really inspiring. It comes from Jen Ping. She's been swimming in Lake Michigan all throughout the pandemic, including in the winter, when the water is often about 30 degrees.
0: As I swim, conditions change constantly. Choppy water can threaten, but I float with it. It feels spiritual, a condensed moment of being alive. Well I have to observe boundaries during the pandemic, in the water I am free. So I found myself back at the lake each morning, despite or maybe because of the cold. When my face submerges, I feel stinging pain, then numbness. Afterward, when my shivering stops, I'm so full of energy that I'm ready to face any obstacle. Even the pandemic feels at bay. thanks so much for sharing these essays with us. They've been really inspirational.
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks to you for having me on. And just thanks to everyone who took the time to write and read and just share share these essays with us.
0: Coming up, we're going to look to the future as more and more people get vaccinated. That's next.
1: Learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash TalkAwayTheDark. Here in
0: Illinois, over 2.6 million people have gotten their first dose of the COVID vaccine. That's about 20 percent of the state's population. And every day, as more doses become available, that number grows. A couple of weeks ago, Michelle Vargas became part of that upward trend. She went to get her first dose of the vaccine, and she was kind of surprised by how it made her feel. As
6: I sat down in that moment, and I thought about, like, I'm getting emotional now thinking about it. I was like, man, this is, it's here. Like, it's it's finally here.
0: As the doctor prepared to give her the shot, Michelle started to cry.
6: And I felt stupid, like when the tears were coming out, I was like, this is so dumb, why am I crying? And the doctor, you know, he was just so great. Like I couldn't have thought of anything
0: better to say. He asked her what getting the vaccine meant to her. And for Michelle, it means a lot. She's a bilingual teacher at Curie High School. She's been teaching remotely for a year. She and her wife have a two-year-old and a five-month-old at home. And her parents are older and they help out with childcare, So they've been really isolated for the past year. On top of all that, Michelle has severe asthma. So when she got that first dose, it felt like, all right, like we're moving
6: into a world where we might be able to have some normalcy again.
0: Later that day, Michelle kept thinking about the doctor's question. And it brought up a question of her own, a question she asked us.
6: I just think it would be super interesting to hear what that vaccine means to different residents because we're all experiencing a little bit of a different circumstance. And so for one person it might mean more freedom, but for someone else, especially who's had a death in the family,
0: oh man, that vaccine is everything. So last week we went to two vaccination sites, Esperanza Health Center in Gage Park and Rush on the near west side. And we asked people who had just gotten the vaccine what it means to them. Here's what some of them said.
1: It means that I can actually hang out with the family again without the the fear of actually passing something to my parents because they just got their second shot yesterday and now we could um, like actually have birthday parties where we can all actually hug and yeah, hug.
0: (laughs) Juan Favela lives in West Lawn and he hit upon a theme here lots of people are ready for hugs.
1: We've lost a lot of loved ones, and it's so hard just being on Zoom and watching them cry. So um, it's going to mean a lot to be able to console, you know, give hugs and things that we've been missing.
0: Melissa Trotter and her husband Robert came into the city from Lansing, Illinois, to get the shot. But even after being vaccinated, they don't expect much to change right away. I think we have to be careful, even though we may want to rush back into getting things back to normal. I don't think anything will ever be normal again. It'll be our new version of what normal is. Normal came up a lot with people we talked to. Getting back to normal, new normal, some semblance of normal. But for Maria Teresa Roscoe from Westlawn, it's more about feeling
1: safe. For myself, I have a diabetes. So to go to a hospital for COVID is like... Like, oh please God,
0: no, I mean, this is horrible. But when we talked to Maria, she had just gotten her first dose, she was feeling good, and she had a message for vaccine skeptics.
1: For the people that don't believe this, this is uh, really something that you have to do. Get those uh, strange things out of your mind and do it. The only thing I've done that I've been able to get out is go to the doctor's offices. That's no fun.
0: This is Eva Ozarowski from the far north side. At 90, she's the oldest person we talked to for this story. She's also a Holocaust survivor. And as you can imagine, she says she's been through a lot worse than COVID. But the vaccine still means a lot.
1: To be able to go out and do my own shopping, you know, pick my own stuff out, be able to get together with my kids more often. Thank God, that's all I can say.
0: Those were just a few of the people we talked to. Others told us they felt grateful, hopeful, excited, overwhelmed, free, and at ease now that the vaccine is here. Thanks to everyone for sharing their thoughts and feelings about the COVID vaccine. And thanks to Michelle for asking the question. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation and produced by Joe Dassault and Steven Jackson. Monica Eng is our reporter, Maggie Sivett is our digital and engagement producer, and Natalie Dahlia is our multimedia intern. I'm Alexandra Solomon. Thanks for listening.